then they'll have a parade in their town where they go and they, everyone comes out to celebrate their victory. Uh, that's the idea here. It's a victory march. David is leading a victorious march to the streets of Jerusalem. Uh, it's, a, it's a glorious, glorious psalm. It's a long psalm. And uh, you might even notice in a second as I'm reading through this, it's, it's almost as if David is, is getting ahead of himself as he's writing. He's just throwing out there everything that's coming into his mind. And, and as you read it, the first few times you read it, you're thinking, this is really disjointed. How in the world am I going to fit this together? These, I mean, all these thoughts are focusing on how great God is, but it's just almost random thoughts falling out. But then as you come to study and spend time, you do see a theme working its way through this psalm. Uh, so I'm excited. I'm going to read it, uh, and then we'll, we'll pray and jump into it. Psalm 68. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Let those who hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax what melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yes, let them rejoice exceedingly. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds by his name Yah and rejoice before him. A father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. O God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, Selah, the earth shook, the heavens also dropped rain, and the presence of God, at the presence of God, Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God, the God of Israel. You, O God, sent a plentiful rain, whereby you confirmed your inheritance when it was weary. Your congregation dwelt in it. You, O God, provided from your goodness for the poor. The Lord gave the word. Great was the company of those who proclaimed it. Kings of armies flee. They flee. And she who remains at home divides the spoil. They lie down among the sheepfolds. You will be like the wings of a dove covered with silver and her feathers with yellow gold. When the Almighty scattered kings in it, it was white as snow in Zalmon. A mountain of God is the mountain of Bashan. A mountain of many peaks is the mountain of Bashan. Why do you fume with envy, you mountains of many peaks? This is the mountain which God desires to dwell in. Yes, the Lord will dwell in it forever. The chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of thousands. The Lord is among them as in Sinai, in the holy place. You have ascended on high. You have led captivity captive. You have received gifts among men, even from the rebellious, that the Lord God might dwell there. Blessed be the Lord, who daily loads us with benefits, the God of our salvation, Selah. Our God is the God of salvation. And to God the Lord belong, escapes from death. But God will wound the head of his enemies, the hairy scalp of the one who still goes on in his trespasses. The Lord said, I will bring back from Bashan, I will bring them back from the depths of the sea, that your foot may crush them in blood, and the tongues of your dogs may have their portion from your enemies. They have seen your procession, O God. 
the procession of my God, my King, into the sanctuary. The singers went before, the players on instruments followed after. Among them were the maidens playing timbrels. Bless God in the congregations, the Lord from the fountain of Israel. There was little Benjamin, their leader, the princes of Judah and their company, the princes of Zebulun and the princes of Naphtali. Your God has commanded your strength. Strengthen, O God, what you have done for us. Because of your temple at Jerusalem, kings will bring presents to you. Rebuke the beasts of the reeds, the herd of bulls with the calves of the peoples, till everyone submits himself with pieces of silver. Scatter the peoples who delight in war. Envoys will come out of Egypt. Ethiopia will quickly stretch out her hands to God. Sing to God, you kingdoms of the earth. I'll sing praises to the Lord, Selah. To him who rides on the heaven of heavens, which were of old, indeed he sends out his voice, a mighty voice. Ascribe strength to God. His excellence is over Israel, and his strength is in the clouds. O God, you are more awesome than your holy places. The God of Israel is he who gives strength and power to his people. Blessed be God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We rejoice in the truth of this passage. Even as it looks back at your faithfulness and it looks forward to your coming kingdom. When all your promises are fulfilled as the nations gather to worship. And even as Jim mentioned earlier, we long for that day, Father. And yet, even while we, were here, while we are here, while we wait, we will sing your praises. We will proclaim, even as we've already proclaimed with our mouths, Be thou exalted, that your name may be lifted up. I pray that you would guide our minds and our thoughts as we work our way through this passage, that you would be honored in all that is said and done in this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. As I mentioned, it's a, it's a song that has a lot of themes all throughout it. There's a lot going on. But, as you pay attention, as you follow along, it's kind of like a winding path. It's, it almost, in the way it's written, expresses the very thing it is, a victory march. It almost is the idea of just winding through the streets and, and, and all these different neighborhoods and proclaiming who God is. Starts out with an introduction in the first six verses. And the first thing you see in the first four, four verses is a call to a proper response. And that's divided between how God's enemies respond and how God's people respond. David here starts with what would have been a familiar uh, passage to the Israelites, Numbers 10, 35, almost word for word. He says, let God arise, let his enemies be scattered, let those also who hate him flee before him. Find this, as I mentioned, in Numbers 10, 35, where it says this, So it was, whenever the ark set out, that Moses said, Rise up, O Lord, let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. As you look at the setting of this psalm, it's not mentioned. We don't know. 
Lots of people have thrown out guesses. It seems most likely that it's tied to the movement of the ark to Jerusalem, the restoration of the ark to Jerusalem. 2 Samuel 6, 12 to 15. We're not for sure, but, but even the way that it starts with this almost quotation from Numbers 10 that's tied to the ark. Let God arise. So Moses would say as they got up, as they gathered their tents, as they picked up the ark and they started to, to march out, whenever the ark set out, it says, Moses said this, let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Let those also who hate him flee before him. David here in this psalm takes that same idea forward. Let those who hate flee before him. He gives some illustrations. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. As the Lord comes, the wicked flee. But let the righteous be glad. The enemies of God, the wicked, they flee before him. But what do God's people do in his presence? Let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yes, let them rejoice exceedingly. You, God's people, sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds by his name, Yah, and rejoice before him. As his enemies flee, his people rise up and praise him. These two extreme reactions. It reminds me of when I was a kid, when I was in kindergarten. Uh, our kindergarten was, was right next to my grandparents' backyard. And my grandparents had this big Doberman Shepherd. Her name was Sheba. And even as a little five-year-old, you know, Sheba loved me. She was really gentle with me. Uh, you know, she, I, I loved going to the backyard and playing with Sheba. And I always thought it was so neat because whenever college kids would come over or my teachers would come over to the fence, they were scared to death of this Doberman Shepherd, but here I was as a little five-year-old. I'd just walk up and stick my hand through, pet the dog. I'd walk in the backyard, play with the dog. That's almost the idea here. You have these two extreme reactions. Those who are against God, those who are enemies, those who don't know him, they flee. They're terrified of him. He is great. He is powerful. But those who know him rejoice to be in his presence. There's an excitement there. That's what we see here. We rejoice to be in the presence of God. And, and what's interesting is you get into verse 5 then. Verses 5 to 6, the psalmist here, David, kind of describes who this God is. Obviously, he's a great God. He is powerful. His enemies are fleeing before him. And yet, this is how he describes him. Verses 1 to 4 has language of power. Verses 5 to 6 has language of mercy and of gentleness. This God who the enemies flee from, he's a father of the fatherless. A defender of widows. Of those who are most vulnerable, most hurt, most put down and put out by society. God cares for them. God sets the solitary in families. 
the solitary, the idea there is of the, the lonely. He takes those who are lonely and he puts them in families. He gives them families. He cares for them. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity. This powerful God is a merciful God, a caring God, a gentle God. He cares for the fatherless, the widows, the lonely, the poor. He cares for the lowly and the needy. And he stands against the proud. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity, but the rebellious dwell on the dry land. He cares for those who are needy, those who are vulnerable, those who are lowly. We have a picture here of a very powerful God, and yet a very caring and gentle God as well. This is the introduction. It introduces us to this God who is the theme of this psalm. This is who he is. He's a God feared by his enemies. And he's a God loved by his people. He's a God who cares for the weak. And a God who casts out the rebellious. As you come to verses 7 through um, really 18, it's as if David kind of now is going back and he traces through Israel's history, showing what this God has done. And he starts in verses, um, the first several verses here, God's provision in the wilderness. Oh God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, right, that immediately draws our mind. We know these passages. So he leads them out of Egypt into the wilderness, his people, he cares for them in the wilderness. And yet even in his care for them, notice the, the, the language here of power. As he led them out, the earth shook. The heavens dropped rain at the presence of God. Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God. The God of Israel. And yet this powerful God at whom mountains shake sent plentiful rain, whereby you confirmed your inheritance when it was weary. He cared for his people in the wilderness. Your congregation dwelt in it. You, O oh God, provided for your goodness, from your goodness for the poor. As the mountains are shaking at the power of God, he cares for the poor at the same moment. Again, we see this juxtaposition of power and mercy. The Lord gave the word. Great was the company of those who proclaimed it. So now as we come into verses 11 and 12 and following, we're moving from the wilderness into the land. So God's provision in the wilderness, he cared for the poor. The mountains shook, he sent rain now God's provision in the land. Kings of armies flee. They flee and she who remains at home divides the spoil. It's the picture of uh, the conquest of the land as the armies go and they take city after city after city and they grow in wealth and power. Their wives remain at home, divide the spoil. 
Now, as you come to verses 13 to 14, I found this was mentioned in every single commentary that I looked at. And I look at a lot because when I looked at these two verses, I had no idea what they were talking about. Though you lie down among the sheepfolds, you will be like the wings of a dove covered with silver and her feathers with yellow gold. When the Almighty scattered kings in it, it was white as snow in Zalmon. Every commentary I looked like noted, noted how notoriously difficult to translate and to follow this passage was. In fact, several mentioned this is probably the two most difficult verses to understand and to translate in all of the Psalms. Likely what it is, is there cultural references, maybe sayings that the people at that time would have understood. They would have known, oh yeah, that's exactly, we get that, we know what God's talking about, but something that doesn't necessarily translate down to our day. We're not following along here in the picture. But we do get the, the main idea. As God leads his people into the land, we see God's victory over his enemies. Many take this idea of wings of dove covered with silver, her feathers with yellow gold. The idea that we see in scripture of God often pulling his people under his wings, he is caring for them. Yet at the same time when the Almighty scattered kings in it, it was white as snow in Zalman. Zalman is a mountain. It's a known mountain, yet it could also, it's a word that means black or dark. So it could be here the contrast with white snow on a dark mountain, contrasting the bodies of the, the enemies of God who have fallen. Regardless, the idea of these two verses tying in with taking of the land is God's victory over his enemies. God has cared for his people. He has led them into the land. He has given them what he has promised. He has destroyed his enemies before him. He is a victorious God. And his people are victorious with them. As you come to verse 15 to 16 now, we're moving out of the conquest into the settling in the land. And we see God settling in Zion. A mountain of God is the mountain of Bashan. Bashan is a fertile region northeast of the Sea of Galilee. The largest mountain in the area is Mount Hermon. The mountains of many peaks is the Mount of Bashan. Why do you fume with envy, you mountains of many peaks? This is the mountain which God desires to dwell in. There's kind of a picture going on here. It's a... Um, What's the word when you give human characteristics to something that's not human? Onomatopoeia, is that it? A what? Personification? I don't know. I know that word too. <laughs> English was not my strongest language. <laughs> Personification? So the idea here is that these great mountains of Bashan, you know, when you think about when you think about if, if you were God, right, put yourself without being disrespectful in God's position and you're coming and you're picking a mountain. This is going to be my mountain. You'd probably pick the biggest mountain. The most daunting, the most powerful looking mountain. And yet God picked Zion. It's a little mountain. 
It's not much of a mountain at all. It's more of a hill. And the idea here is these great mountains, these powerful mountains, look down and they are jealous of this little tiny mountain that God has chosen. I think of my, growing up in Greenville, South Carolina, there's a little mountain in Greenville called Paris Mountain. It's more like a little hill. In fact, we often called it Paris Pimple. It's not much of a mountain at all. Compared to the other mountains there and as, as the mountain range goes on, and so you have this little tiny mountain. And that's kind of the idea here. It's just, uh, next to these massive mountains in Bashan, next to Mount Hermon, this little mountain that God has chosen, it's like a, a pimple, just a bump on the earth. They fume with envy. Why did God pick that, not me? But verse 16, this is the mountain which God desires to dwell in. This is what God has chosen. And it's interesting, as you step back there and you see even that, that picture of the mountains, what's going on there, he reminds us that God's ways are not our ways. He cares for the needy, as we saw. He chooses Zion to dwell in. Israel is his people. He knows what he is doing. Even if it would not be what we would choose, right? We would choose the, the grand mountain. The great mountain. That's not what God chose. And he will dwell in it forever. The chariots of God are 20,000. Even thousands of thousands. He is a powerful God. And he brings freedom. The Lord is among them. As in Sinai. In the holy place. As the Lord was with them at Sinai, so he is with them in the tabernacle. You think back, you know, put yourself in their position, and you hear these stories of Sinai shaking, of seeing God up on the mountain. You hear these stories of them working their way through the wilderness, led by flame at night and a cloud during the day. And David reminds them, he is with us in that same way. Just as he was in Sinai, so he is here in his holy place. You have ascended on high to his mountain. And what is it that God has done? You have led captivity captive. Captivity captive. His people are free. This passage is quoted by Paul in Ephesians 4, 8-13. It refers to Christ's resurrection and ascension. As he led captivity captive. Galatians 5.1, Paul says, For freedom Christ has set us free. This powerful God, this great God, has brought freedom. His people who were captive have been made free. You have received gifts among men. As a conqueror, he receives the spoil. And that's just an interesting note, is Paul actually flips that. And Paul focuses on Christ then, leading captivity captive, and then giving gifts to the church to serve. Just an, an interesting note there. As conqueror, he receives gifts here in Psalm. And then in Ephesians, as conqueror, as the one who's led captivity captive, he gives gifts. 
The conqueror distributes what he has won. Even from the rebellious that the Lord God might dwell there. As you move to verse 19 then, we find God protects his people. So if you're following the, the flow of this, you've had this introduction that's introduced us to God. God's provision in the wilderness. God's provision in the land. In the, the conquest. God then settling in Zion. And now we're coming to God protects his people. Blessed be the Lord, who daily loads us with benefits. Daily. He cares for his people. Daily they are renewed. It's not something he, he gives them and then just leaves them alone for a month and if they run out in that month, too bad. He daily loads them with benefits. He is, he is constantly there. He is caring for them. The God of our salvation, Selah. Our God is the God of salvation. He repeats it there. He's the God who delivers, the God who protects. The idea there is of military victory. He delivers his people from captivity, from their enemies. And to God the Lord belongs, and to God the Lord belong escapes from death. God delivers his people, and he also conquers his enemies. But God will wound the head of his enemies. It's a death blow. The hairy scalp of the one who still goes on in his trespasses, the Lord said, I will bring back from Bashan. I will bring them back from the depths of the sea. The idea there is justice will be served. His enemies may run. They may run to the top of these great mountains in Bashan, or they may run to the depths of the sea. But either way, the Lord will go and he will get them and they will not escape his justice. That your foot may crush them in blood and the tongues of your dogs may have their portion from your enemies. Justice will be done. So as you're following this journey through the Psalms, we come to verse 24 then, we see a joyful and victorious procession of praise into the sanctuary. Now we're moving kind of from the past, what God has done as we followed God's faithfulness, God's power displayed through the ages to the present and even to the future. Verse 24, they have seen your procession, O God, the procession of my God, my King, into the sanctuary. Again, if, if this is a psalm, which seems to me most likely, uh, based on the beginning, based on the, the, the focus of God's presence in the sanctuary, it seems that it is, is a psalm uh, focusing on um, the restoration of the ark to Jerusalem. And so you can almost picture this procession of people making their way. They've seen your procession, O God, the procession of my God, my King, making their way back to Jerusalem, into the sanctuary. The singers went before, the players on instruments followed after. Among them were the maidens playing timbrels. Think of a, a parade here. You have this long line of people playing and dancing and shouting. This is excitement, it's joyful, it's full of praise. And this is the theme of their song, verse 26. Bless God in the congregations, the Lord from the fountain of Israel. Who is it that is singing this song? Verse 27, there is little Benjamin, their leader, 
the princes of Judah and their company, the princes of Zebulun, the princes of Naphtali. Obviously, these are tribes of Israel that are making up this procession. They, they represent basically all of Israel, all of God's people. And the breakdown of, of who's listed, Benjamin and Judah, Zebulun and Naphtali, you have two in the far south, two in the far north. You have the smallest tribe in Benjamin and the largest tribe in Judah. So from the north to the south, from the largest to the smallest, these are God's people. Your God has commanded your strength. Strength, O God. Strengthen, O God, what you have done for us. The Lord commands strength. The Lord delivers strength. The Lord has commanded your strength. O God, give us strength. As you come to verse 29 then, now we're moving into the future. When the Lord reigns. As they bring the tabernacle, the ark, back into Jerusalem. Because of your temple at Jerusalem, kings will bring presents to you. God's dwelling and his works on this little mountain in Jerusalem, among this little people in the world, proclaim his greatness. Verses 29 through 31 look beyond the immediate to the eternal. The Lord will come. He will set up his kingdom. He will rule from Jerusalem. And all the nations will gather. Verse 30. The nations will be subdued, rebuke the beasts of the reeds, Pharaoh, the herd of bulls, with the calves of the people, till everyone submits himself with pieces of silver, pays tribute, signifying their subservience to God. Scatter the peoples who delight in war. The nations will be subdued under this king. As God comes in Jerusalem, and envoys will come out of Egypt. Ethiopia will quickly stretch out her hands to God. And the Lord will reign, bringing peace as the nations come to Israel, to Jerusalem. So, as we're following this journey from the past through the wilderness, through the conquest, through the settling of the land, into the present as they bring the ark back into Jerusalem and they're rejoicing at what God has done and they look to the future when all the nations will come and join them. As you come to the end here, verse 32 to 35, we're picking up a theme that has followed us the last few psalms from 65, 66, 67, now into 68, and it's the theme of the nations. So those psalms have all been focused on, um, they've been more positive towards the nations. Where Psalm 68 here talks about God conquering, his enemies are fleeing. But the ending is still positive. It's to the end that they would come, that they would worship. And that's what verse 32 is. It's an invitation to come and to worship the Lord. Sing to God, you kingdoms of the earth. Oh, sing praises to the Lord. Selah. To him who rise on the heavens of heavens which were of old. Indeed, he sends out his voice with a mighty voice. Ascribe strength to God. His excellence is over Israel. And his strength is in the clouds. 
It's an invitation to these kingdoms of the earth to, to join Israel in praising her God. How do we do this? Recognize who this God is. Recognize how great he is. Recognize his excellences over Israel's. Recognize Israel's unique role in God's universal plan. Oh God, you are more awesome than your holy places. His greatness cannot be contained even in the glorious things that God has given in the tabernacle, even in the ark, even in the temple that David probably is envisioning as he's writing this. None of those things can contain God. You are more awesome than your holy places. The God of Israel is he who gives strength and power to his people. His people are great because he is great. Blessed be God. So as you come to the end of this psalm, we're coming to the end of a journey. We've wound our ways through history into the future. And we're invited to join in this song to rejoice. As we come to the end of this psalm, we recognize that we too long for Christ to come, do we not? We long for him to come and to establish his kingdom. The longing of Israel in this psalm is, is the same longing that many of us have. Come, Lord Jesus. And yet we rejoice that we do not have to hold our praise till then. Just as this psalm encourages, extol him who rides on the clouds. Rejoice before him. Ascribe strength to God. Tell of his greatness. Yes, we long for that day. But we must not sit idly until that day. As this psalm invites, go and tell of God's glorious invitation of salvation to the world. For as Paul quoted, this psalm proclaiming he led captivity captive. So go to the world and proclaim the good news of this God. Or, as we see in the New Testament in a different language, go and make disciples of all nations, telling them what God has done, teaching them all things. It's a long psalm, but it's an exciting psalm. It's a psalm that starts us back, winds us through history, and points us to the future. It's a psalm that, that, that we, as, as you read this, as you come to, to, to grasp it, to understand, your, your heart is, is, at least if you're like me, my heart is, is knit with David as he's writing this. this. There's almost excitement, there's exuberance in there. There's joyfulness. We long for that day and we look forward to it. So be encouraged, even in the middle of the week, as we're tired, remember who your God is. Rejoice and go and tell. Be a testimony. We're going to take some prayer requests.